Welcome. Let's talk books. I'm Robin Van Auken, and I'm interviewing writers about inspiration, creation, publication, and promotion of their books. Today is November 18th, 2017, and it's episode number one. My guest is Diane Langley, author of Life Changes, a small book filled with enormous wisdom. In this book, Diane writes about a variety of topics, such as survivor guilt, letting go, self-kindness, and learning to say no. You can learn more about Diane and her book in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Hello and welcome. I'm Robin Van Auken, the wholehearted author, and I'm here today with Diane Langley. Welcome. It's so great to be here with you today. I'm excited. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate you attending. This is um, very early in my attempt to podcast books, and I've got some ideas. I've got some really good ideas, and I've got one idea that's kind of off the wall. Okay. So when I first started thinking about doing a podcast... Mm -hmm. And this is not just for you. This is for everybody's edification. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about talking about books, talking to authors only, people who have published a book. But now I've been thinking about this, and after talking to my daughter, um, I have an idea. There's a lot of people out there who have stories to tell that they've never been able to sit down and write. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a writer. You're a writer. I have dozens of books in my head. And I'm still struggling to get my last one out onto my computer and so that I can print it and sell it. But I'm thinking that maybe not all stories need to be written, but they all do need to be told. Mm-hmm. So at the end of our talk today, I was going to ask you about, are there any books that you're not going to write, mm-hmm. but you're willing to release that story? Okay. And I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, her book an author. Magic? Yes, her book Magic. Okay. So, so this concept comes from magic. Okay. Um, she does talk about the idea that we all have this muse that's working with us, and, um, you know, they're only going to work with us so long. If we don't show up mm-hmm. and put the work in, they're going to go find a writer who is going to do the job. And, um, of course, I've explained to you in the past that I'm a scientist. Yes. My degrees are in anthropology, archaeology. So I always look at things from a very logical, statistical, scientific point of view. But I do have to admit that there is something to that concept. Because I have felt the muse. And, and I have felt that the muse has left me on this last book I'm writing. Mm. And I've been putting in the work, Interesting. thinking about this story, because I'm trying to invite the muse to come back. Okay. I'm trying to become infected, maybe, with more imagination and creativity so that I can wrap up this book, which is the sixth and final book in this series that I was writing. I just waited too long, and it hightailed out of here. So, if not that muse, then maybe another muse. Maybe there's another similar story that's going to come in and help me with this. So, be thinking in the back of your mind as we talk today about your muse And is there one that you've ignored maybe you want to release? Let somebody else write that book. Okay. All righty. So we're talking today about books. And as I said, I'm here with Diane Langley. Thank you so much. A little bit of uh, background here. Diane and I both worked at Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And that's how I met you. Tell me a little bit about that experience with you. I taught at Lycoming College. Um, at the time, you were allowed to teach for five years without your PhD, so I had the opportunity to go there and work first in the business department where I taught, taught things like marketing, advertising, human resources, those types of things, and then later came back for another three years, actually when I was working on my PhD, and taught the corporate communication um, curriculum. And so I, I loved it. Absolutely love Lycoming College. I love it too. I've been there now almost 15 years. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually me. started as an adjunct teacher in the very office that you that you have right now. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background. What degrees do you have? 
I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in communications. The bachelor's is more mass communications oriented, and the the master's degree is in communications. And I also had three years of experience um, with Antioch University in their Ph.D. program in leadership and change. And um, I love, pardon me, I absolutely love that program. Um, I was following up and will probably unfold a little bit more some of the information about, you know, in, that influences my writing. And in, in the middle of it um, came life. I was working on a PhD and um, starting this new job teaching again. And my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And a week later, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so something had to give. We needed to do some self-care and uh, put everything else into being able to be a good teacher. And uh, so it was um, an interesting time, you know, back at Lycoming College. And I'm from Williamsport, was born and raised in Williamsport, and went away to different places. But my love was always to come back and be able to be a part of this community and help in ways that possibly were underserved or unserved. So that's my curiosity. And tell me a little bit about your book. You have a book here. I have a book. I um, write. Uh, part of volunteer work that I've done over the years is to um, write for our local newspaper called Williams Sports on Gazette. And I worked at one time as a business development strategist at the library, and I was writing the, something called the Business Toolbox. And then I wasn't working at the library years later, and I was still writing the Business Toolbox. So I contacted them, and I said, I think that there's something that's a little bit different that I'd like to offer. Would you consider it? And it was a column called Life Changes, which is what I continue to write today, and I took 30 of the columns and made it into the book of the same name, Life Changes. Well, so tell me a little bit about this topic, Life Changes. It's more expansive than the business toolkit. Right. Business tool, this is completely different. This is, um, my background is an awful lot in um, uh Education and I, you know, began in running residence halls and then teaching and then being other places in marketing and such. And I found that everybody has their story and they have their struggles with transitions and that there's difficulty in finding language. And I think the thing that I'm most fascinated with is when there's an elephant in the room and people don't know what to do with it. And they kind of know that they have their own, and they try not to have it bump into anybody. And at the same time, there's this deep inner wish that people could express themselves so that they didn't carry a secret or a burden, or they would just be they would just be able to have a truer expression. So I like my passion is really looking at topics that are difficult for people to talk about and to help to bring language to them, to help to bring a different kind of question that maybe they wouldn't have asked themselves and um, to just kind of influence that and to do it in a way that is not in a, it's not perfect English. I think I mentioned to you before, I dangle those participles. I'm sure I am the sentences with prepositions which I'm certain when if people read it they'll go oh my there she did it again she did it again doesn't she know I absolutely know and I don't do it on purpose it's more a kitchen conversation in writing with people that you feel like somebody sees you that they get you that they're there with you and that from there you can decide what you want to do or not do with that information. Okay, so you're inspired by difficult topics? Yes. Okay. Yes, because of the difficult things in my own past. And so I can really appreciate when people go through difficult times and that there aren't resources around. Um, and what do you do to go through those transitions? How do you 
rebalance? How do you do your own self-care? Because those things I don't believe are taught. It's more buck up, um, get over it, you know, do those kinds of things, be a man, be a woman, instead of being a person, you know, being right. human. Yes. And so I'm most fascinated when I meet people who feel, I'll say the word vulnerable enough to be able to express themselves to say, you know, this is me and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I love that question. When they say, you ask them a question, they say, I honestly don't know where I'm going with this right now. How? And, And then they get an idea and then they move forward. So anyway, I'm, I am very interested in, um, just like teaching, I was a big fan of experiential learning. So do you see yourself as a mentor then, or an an interpreter? I see myself as, that's an excellent question. I see myself as another human being who is interested in what their topic of interest might be, whether I'm sitting next to them or not, um, that I help to start the conversation. So I look at myself as a conversation starter. Okay. So we're talking about nonfiction here, right? Yes. So all of your columns that you're working on yes. that resulted in this book, you're, you're working in nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, what's... How difficult is it for you to go up to somebody who knows you and yeah. they think, oh, wait, I better shut up because I could become a topic in her next column. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because most people come up and they go, I have an idea for you. How refreshing that. is that? <laughs> I do get that a lot. Hey, yeah. Robin, I've got a book you need to write. Yeah, Long, now I, it? I do have to say there's some people who have said, now, are you analyzing me? And I'll say, no, I'm I'm not analyzing you. I'm I'm... Just listening. And I I think that that's one of the purest compliments that you can give someone is two things, time and attention. And I find that most people don't listen. They're too busy preparing their response. This is true. This is true. So if I were to be one of the people that you would talk to, Mm -hmm. how would you go about starting one of our conversations? I, Don't worry, you can shame me. I have no worries. Okay. No, actually, we've had different conversations over time, and I might be, I would be inspired by maybe one word, maybe a story. It could be a phrase that you said that sticks out like a highlighter. Like some people hear things in music, some people see nature. I see words all around. I don't know how else to describe it. Is this a form of synesthesia? Have you heard of this before? No. Synesthesia. Synesthesia. Um, It's actually a concept. Um, The brain sometimes will work in significant ways. Like my daughter, Mm -hmm. coming back to my daughter, for example, when she sees words and letters, each word in each letter has a color. Interesting. And when you combine certain words, mm-hmm. like my name, R-O-B-I-N, mm-hmm. she would see it as green. Interesting. And she can, some people who have synesthesia actually smell yeah. words. Yeah. So language has become a physical thing for them. So if you're seeing, yeah, do you actually feel like you see words floating when you're talking to people? I tend to... Um Sometimes when I'm talking with people, I look off to the right or to the left, and I know that there's a whole there's a whole science on if you look to one side, somebody's lying, and if you look to another side, somebody's telling the truth and just thinking, that doesn't work with me because I tend to like to look to somebody directly in the eye, but when I'm, there's a but there, right? <laughs> but I will search for words and it's almost like I'm searching around the person that it's going to come up and there was a show that um that PBS did on uh Einstein and in that they had this special effects graphic where he would say to his friend let's do a thought experiment and all of a sudden these 
like words and pictures would come up. So it's kind of like you visualize without closing your eyes. I don't know how else to explain it. But when I saw that, I thought, that's it. That reminds me of the way that words seem to come or what might resonate with me. So you're saying if I'm sitting down with somebody, I could be doing whatever it is. We could be having a casual conversation. I may have come to you as I did, you know, recently for Wise Counsel on a project that I'm working on. And you could say two words, and I would have never put them together that way before, but to me, it's it just really has some energy and power behind it, and I think, oh, I love that. So anyway, anybody who knows me knows that I love words. I don't always use them correctly. Um, I think that that's my hesitation, is that when I meet people, ah. they think that I'm going to say something that um, is always said correctly and I don't I don't I don't always know what to say I'm I certainly a don't. human being right and um, so I get some interesting questions from people and I get suggestions for what to write in the columns and I, I thought that what I would do was dip my toe into the self-publishing and see how it went and instead of writing something new different people had encouraged me to why don't you take some of the columns that you already wrote, you have a whole heck of a lot of them, and write something. And I recognize that there's a lot of readers out there who are like me. Um, They lose track if something is too long, and they like something short. And I know for the newspaper, basically... At the time that I was writing these, the columns were to be no longer than 1,800 words. At the time. Now they're probably more like 800. Yes, they, exactly. Because they, have, they don't have enough money to pay for the paper. The space is, is at a premium. It is. it is. That's a sad thing. That is a sad thing. So yeah. as a published writer, mm-hmm. did you feel distress knowing that you were going to not use words properly in your book? And how did you overcome that? Oh, my gosh. I still look at this. When I was um, on my way here to this interview, I picked up the book, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh, I really messed up in the writing who and whom and effect and affect, and I just didn't get that right. I didn't, you know, so you see something that's in print, and yes. you think, okay, now as a self-publisher, I have the opportunity to go back True. and correct that. But I just haven't been motivated to necessarily, you know, do that. It's more than I'm on to the next thing. Will I someday, if there's this big pot of money out there that, <laughs> you know, I can clean up what it was? Yes, yes I will. But. Okay, all righty. So with this book, when did you when did you start to succeed as a writer from taking your ideas of newspaper columns and putting them into the book? You said people encouraged you, mm-hmm. but... At what point did you actually sit down and make it happen? And then tell me about the experience when you finally finished that book and you uploaded it to Amazon or to wherever. So I had different friends who were very encouraging. And uh, my one friend who and colleague who would do some different um, speaking engagements with me in the community, her name is Patricia Boyles. And she said, I really think that you, it's time. And I said, Patty, I don't have the money to do this. And she said, Randy and I will front you the money to do this and you can pay us back. So you asked me to be very honest. Yes, yes. I think that this is the way that people go. You know, you you can't just wait until the right time. There, There isn't an exact right time. So... That was actually the most difficult thing in doing the book was accepting the money, knowing that I was going to pay it back. But right. I recognize that I have a challenge in receiving. Oh, I do too. I understand. Yeah. So, so I thought, okay, this would be good for me. So Patty and Randy, you know, funded it, and. Um, I went about and I found I used an organization called Create Space. Yes, 
and they sell through Amazon and other places. And um, they, oh, I strongly encourage anybody who's going to self-publish to be able to do this. Um, I think that I don't know how much it is now, but at the time, it was not affordable to me. It was affordable to my friend. It was affordable to pay, pay back. But if you think about it, the investment of what you're doing, and it's, it just takes you to the next level. Did I ever think that people would buy it? You know something? It mattered, but it didn't matter more, if that makes sense. It was more that I did a dream of what I had wanted to do. Years ago, I created a television show, a local one, um, where people could call in and meet doctors and, and call in and ask medical questions. And people would say to me, well, what if nobody watches? And I just pretended that my mom watched and that that was enough. And I thought, if anybody else calls in, that'll be great. It'll, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. And, um, and people were lovely, and they did, and they called in of what was their interest. So I thought, okay... If they buy it, it's because it's of their interest. Right. So I was very surprised. Otto's Bookstore, a couple years ago, did a book signing when the book first came out, and it was a first Friday event in Williams, downtown Williamsport. Yes. It was also a major snow and sleet event oh. where everything was canceled except for this book signing. And I was very surprised. I thought, okay, nobody's going to come. So really I left myself open to... Just being immersed in the moment of a couple people who were around me, um, you know, to celebrate that this was happening. And I went to this little table, and here there was people lined up from lined up from where my chair was all the way back and and out the door. Wow. And I was like, and I feel that that's boastful to say that. That's very uncomfortable for me to say, but actually that's... So, and these were people that I knew their faces or I did not know their faces. And I have never been so moved on that level of recognizing that, hey, somebody does actually read. And um, one person in particular came up Carol Sides, she owns Sides Music Store, and she had this big hefty bag, and um, she just kind of jingled it in front of me, and I said, what's that, Carol? I didn't even know she knew who I was, and um, she said, I've cut out every single one of your columns, and this is every single one of your columns. Oh, my goodness. And so you never know who... Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I I was a writer at one time for the newspaper. You never know who you're speaking to. So that honestly is a story I usually do not tell because it sounds boastful, but you asked me to be honest. Well, we're actually writers talking to other writers. Yeah. So we need to know. Yeah. Yeah, As so, a writer, we need to know. So, yeah. So this was wonderful. I have personally had book signings at Autos myself, uh-huh. along with um, my husband or with Lou Hunsinger, who sometimes writes books with me. Yeah. And we always joke and uh-huh. call it a haggis stand. Okay. Because um, there was a scene out of The Simpsons, the cartoon show The Simpsons. Yeah. It was a school fair, and there were all these vendors who had wonderful things: cotton candy, deep fried Oreos, you know. Then Willie, Willie the um, groundskeeper of the school, he's a Scottish character on the show, he had a haggis stand ha- serving this food, haggis that nobody likes, and um, it was not popular, of course. So after that cartoon episode, uh-huh. my friend Lou Hunsinger and one of his writing partners, Jim Quiggle, started uh-huh. saying things like, eh, it's a haggis stand. <laughs> so sometimes we've had book signings where it wasn't a haggis stand, mm-hmm. but regardless, we always laugh and keep in the back of our mind, hey, we've been to haggis stands before, so be humble and be yeah. grateful for the people who do come in and talk to you. It's a wonderful feeling. Oh my gosh, it's, it was very, very, very... I mean, just, I, I don't even know the word for it. It was just an incredible experience that was, I thought, these are lovely people. And it wasn't that I doubted myself, 
it was because for me it was always a true thing to do. But I never had the motivation necessarily of that this would be for everybody right. because my writing is not for everybody. And I think that that's one thing that um, if I could share with other writers, I think it's a good thing to understand that your writing just may not be the cup of tea for somebody else. And, exactly. that, and that's okay. And if you write true to your heart... Whatever genre it is, however your style is, instead of writing it for a market to sell it to, maybe an area that some of them might be stuck in is that they're trying to do that instead of being true to what they really want to write. And if they would just try writing the free flow, you know, of what they think and Instead of wondering, will it sell, just let it out there and see if they come. So you had this benefit of living in a small town, writing Mm -hmm. a regular column. Was it weekly? It was monthly. A monthly column? Yeah. A long-standing monthly column for Mm -hmm. a local newspaper, so you had built a local audience without knowing it. Without knowing it. And then once this book was published, you knew you had a fan because somebody was so interested, they invested in it too and encouraged you to publish it. Right. So now, at this point, you've had this wave that you rode without even knowing that you were on the wave. Because that's actually what happens, right, in a tsunami. You never really know that the water is rising until you get to the top. Yeah. The day after. First Friday, we're talking about Saturday, mm-hmm. and you're back at your house, and you've got mm-hmm. your book, and you're going, okay, that's never going to happen again for me. Right. That was a first. That's How never going to happen again. So, so what did you think then? What did you think to yourself, like, um, as far as continuing to market your book, or maybe moving on to the next book? What was your next That's a great action? question, because I didn't necessarily think about going and really marketing the book. Um, I thought about what is the next thing that I need to do. So that is a great question. Um, I knew that it wasn't, like I said, perfect. Um, so maybe that's a little bit why I didn't push as much. Um, because I knew that I wanted to go back and do some, you know, some edits to things. So you've been, you've basically held back. Because you're feeling a little bit of shame about something in your book. I I feel the same way. I have written novels, local. People people here don't even know. Uh But I have written five novels about this little town. This little hometown that we live in. And I've created characters. And people I know Uh walk into these books. And I've never told them because I'm so embarrassed. I have this persona of Mm -hmm. Robin Van Auken, the the archaeologist, the instructor at Lycoming College, you know. Right. And then I have this, woo-hoo-hoo, I'm writing these romance novels over on the side. And <laughs> I, I love it. I first started writing them under a pen name. Mm-hmm. I was keeping these two personas separate. Yeah. And it was just exhausting. Mm-hmm. It was exhausting. At first it was exhilarating because I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And we're not talking about erotica here. I'm not writing that. I'm just yeah. writing simple, you know, like the steamy romance novels that you'd read in, a, you know, the steamy Harlequins. Yeah. Some but still, I was embarrassed. Eventually, I finally merged, came mm-hmm. out of the closet, uh-huh. and put my name on all of my books. But I still haven't pushed them because, like you, there, I feel that there's parts in my book that could be better. Now, I've gone back and I've improved two of them. Mm-hmm. But I have three more that I really think needs work before I even tell people, hey, look over here. Yeah. Is that, in, in your opinion? Mm-hmm really worth holding back your work shame and embarrassment over maybe the dangling participle the who whom the who the effect, whom, the, the effect yeah the all that i think that um i plan to start and and go out and speak more and with that i will bring the book yes and at least mention that it's out there, or do you know what I mean? Be uh, unapologetic. Okay. Do it. Okay. I will be if you will be. Okay. Let's, let's make a pact here. To I like that. Start a lot. being brave. Yes. Because that's one of the biggest things that holds us back. Yeah. Is, um, the idea behind wholehearted means that um, 
I'm basing this off of um, another person's work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe you're familiar with her, Brie. The wholehearted um, author is a concept that came from um, a wholehearted approach okay. that was developed by a, another person, a researcher. Okay. And one of the things that she discovered, um, Brie Brown, in her research is that... Yes, um, yes. Okay, is I'm that, with you now. Is that the most, when she loved people the most who were at their most vulnerable, which yes. is what you mentioned. Yes. When they're experiencing shame. Yes. And at that point, when people can admit they're embarrassed, they're shame, yes. then they have the sky's the limit. There, yeah. There's nowhere to go but up at yeah. this point. And, yeah. and our shame makes us who we are, yeah. our embarrassment. So I love her. I absolutely love her. And um, for anybody who's, you know, your, your audience are writers uh, on YouTube, she has a wonderful, it's about 16 minutes long uh, video on vulnerability and yes. another one on shame. And I would suggest that you start with vulnerability soak it in and then you know look at the one that's shame I, I I think as you were talking it reminded me of something else I've been to different presentations where authors talked about their book and I I wanted to listen to them and then they kept just trying to sell their book so I think that that's another part of me that I don't, the marketing. I don't want to push Selling, I want if they like what it is that I'm saying, then they might be intrigued right. to buy the book. Versus having it there, having you know, really pushing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because I've seen some people that it was like, well, all they did buy my book, buy my, buy book, my book, buy my book, buy yeah. my book. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to buy your book. I, it's like I wanted to like the author right enough to buy the book to be connected with the book. And I found that if I didn't care for the author in some way, then I didn't want to invest my dollars in that and have that sit with other books on my shelf. Well, you you see my problem. You're here in my home today. You see that I have a problem with books. I, I have a lot of books. This isn't even part of it. I've got shelves upstairs. I've got boxes upstairs. I actually sent 10,000 books to Baghdad. Lou Hunsinger and I did, um, a few years ago, we started this little um, endeavor Mm -hmm. to to pack, collect books and pack and send them off. Um, And it started with that my my son had requested books to read when he was first stationed over there. Uh And I thought, well, if he wants a book, maybe somebody else does too. Mm -hmm. And we sent so many books that pretty soon they said, can you start sending candy? (laughs) Because candy is a lot easier to carry home instead of a box, 30-pound box of books, you know, from the post office to the barracks. So so, so it was kind of fun at first, but um, yeah, I I love books. I love that idea. I I do love my books, and I don't... I don't ever think about the person behind the book mm-hmm. when I'm looking at these these little treasures that I've got. Mm-hmm. See, I'm you love books and I love paper and pencils. I always have ever since I was little. And then I will be sitting doing whatever and I usually have a paper and pencil next to me and I will write a thought. And then I will write another thought. And some people um they love to journal. I don't like to do the traditional journal. I just like to write a couple words. Okay. And then if it's something that somebody else said, tag it with them. Um, but anyway, maybe somebody who's listening is interested in the idea of that how they write. It doesn't have to be a sit-down you know, middle of the night when everybody's sleeping. How do people do that? I mean, when do you so get inspired, Robin? When I'm is it not at write? four o'clock in the morning. At four o'clock in the morning, instead of getting up and coming downstairs in my office and writing for two or three hours, like so many writers I hear about, yeah. I'm like, no way. I'd rather, you know, roll back over, tuck myself under. What inspires me is getting a good night's sleep, then uh-huh. coming down, having a cup of coffee, and, um, being in my home office with my dog and my cat and yeah. an empty email box. Yeah. No no nagging reminders. I look at my calendar and I go, nothing to do today. Or yeah. if somebody cancels. I mentioned this to you before. 
as an introvert, mm-hmm. I love the concept of people canceling appointments mm-hmm. with me. That's so, I love your truth. It's, it's, to me, it's like an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I didn't expect that. Oh, <laughs> you know, and, and uh-huh. I make appointments with people, you know, legitimately, you know, they need something, I need something, whatever, but just having that little nugget of free time where I can just think. Yeah. Think, be alone, read. I'm yeah. always in learning mode. Yeah. But now you and I write differently. Yes. I, um, uh, for the longest time, I would get up in the middle of the night. You're saying about, I'm one of those people, 3, 3.30 in the morning, wide awake, inspired. Just start, I mean, I actually had a computer at the side of my bed. I know they say not to do that, but I would pull the computer over and I would just start typing, 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 typing. I'd hit the print button. I'd go out, take it out of the printer, put it on my um, um, uh, kitchen table, go back to bed and sleep soundly. And then I'd come out and I would read it. This is how I was writing my columns. And I'd say... Hmm, where did I that made, come from? I made sense. Where did that come from? <laughs> and where did sure. that idea come from? So that happened for the longest time. No, that hasn't happened for about a year. But um, for years, that was the way that I wrote. That's amazing. So I think that it's important that your listeners understand that there's not a right way. You know? No, everybody has a different way, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I do a lot of you, writing and in surges if it's yeah. creative writing yeah because I never regarded myself as a creative writer it was a big hump to get over mm-hmm. for the longest time I was a journalist uh-huh. and I would report nonfiction, um, write nonfiction. Mm-hmm. but I loved the arts I was the entertainment editor for the newspaper so uh-huh. I helped people create like a coalition of independent artists and artisans to promote their arts and to give artists the recognition they truly deserve and um, the person that um, I worked with, Penny Austin, I don't know if you remember her. She mm-hmm. was at Lycoming College, mm-hmm. too, yeah. as a poet. Yeah. Well, she kept pointing out, you know, she was a creative writer and poet. She goes, well, I'm a creative writer. Why are you creative? I'm like, no, no, I'm a journalist. We're not creative. We're just <laughs> reporting the facts, ma'am. Uh-huh. But um, I had to work on that mindset that, no, I am creative. I had to give myself permission to be creative because I kept writing creatively in the dark where nobody would see it. Great point. The whole self-permission concept is to write how you want to write. To write in the first place, to believe in yourself that that's something that's calling you. And I just, I I truly believe in that. I I think that, I, I just believe that people know that they want to write something. When I was in ninth grade, Susan Hancock was my teacher, and I wrote a paper and I got an A on it. And so she was the first person who I think that that's a monumental moment in my life where somebody believed in me, where I was vulnerable to write. I took the assignment, but I really had it at heart. And so... I got an A, and that A, and the, whatever comments there were, I'm certain I have it somewhere around my house, was the beginning of me saying, I can do this. But actually, I first started thinking about writing in second grade. So I think that sometimes we go, actually, our interests go way back right. um, uh, to a time that, you know. Yeah, I became a professional writer in probably seventh grade. I yes, decided, yes I, I got shipped away one summer. My sister and I got shipped away to that. like a relative's house for the summer because my mom had something else to do business-wise and uh, needed a break, yeah. I guess. But we were away for one month, yeah. shipped off to this house in Florida. We barely knew this woman. She wasn't even legit, legally a relative. She was a um, <clears throat> friend of my mother's who had babysat us when uh-huh. we were you know, little, little. So we were there for a month, and we had nothing in common with this woman, this poor old woman. Now, now, you know, back when I was in the seventh grade, of course, I was arrogant and, you know, resisting leaving home in the first place. But um, I holed up. I just created, like, this little office space because she had um, many rooms. Her house was set up almost like dormitories for the nearby college in Mm -hmm. Madison, Florida. Mm -hmm. And she rented rooms and had little apartments. So 
my sister and I were bunking in this one room and there were like desks for the college students to work at. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I had like a whole collection of markers and paper, like you said, yes, pens and papers, different color markers. Yes. So I sat down and I said, man, man write some stories. So I just wrote like three or four short stories, each one in a different color of the markers. Mm-hmm. And I still consider that the moment when I first became a professional writer, even though I don't know where they are. I never sold them. Yeah. But at that point, I was sitting down. I put myself something, yeah. put, you know, took possession of me and said, sit down, get to work. What a special moment in time that is. Yeah, I can still feel, me. still yeah. feel what it felt like in that room, yeah. you know, what it looked like with the... The markers look like. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And um, after that, I progressed to a typewriter and yeah. did a lot of angst-filled poetry okay. during high school. I guess that's the law for a lot of teenage girls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did uh, the yearbook and, and did the different sections, you know, in between. I was a literary editor and uh, I and did a number of other things, too. But my mother used to get... Uh, she was, I don't know what word to use, she was perplexed by me because I would wait till the last minute to write something. You need a deadline. And, but I was thinking about it the whole time. And a speech that I had to give at my high school graduation, it was an hour before graduation. I'd gotten my shower and everything. I knew what my notes were as to what I wanted, but I didn't sit down and write it till then. She's like, come on, Diane, you've got to do this. But I find that I'm that way too. So it either flows or I think about it, think about it, think about it, and then just sit down and it it comes out. So everybody's different. Do you remember that little series? It was a historical series, um, like Young Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Um, just small little books. And uh-huh. it was a whole series of them. I cannot recall what uh-huh. they were named, but I remember checking out Is that what you loved? one of those books. I loved those kind of books, uh-huh. but I also was a person who loved the fairy tales. I loved being frightened. Did and that's, that's a reason why I refused to give up my sleep at night and uh-huh. come down and work, yeah. because... I enjoy dreaming. I dream a lot, uh-huh. and I really enjoy my frightening dreams. That's so interesting. But I don't like to watch scary movies on TV. You uh-huh. know, slasher movies? Yeah. I, I still love, though, mm-hmm. my my nightmares. Yeah. Huh. And fairy tales. Oh, I love... I read Very every fairy tale book out there. You know, I just kept checking those out, well, too. Well, in my mind, I kept saying, well, that's just mean. I can remember saying as a kid, kid, that's just me. (laughs) That's scary. You know, so I went beyond the scary to, that's cruel. That's, you don't do that to people. So, and people would take these, you know, stories in and some were loving it. And that's what was read to you and, you know, and story time and everything. And I just thought... There's got to be something else for me. The real fairy tales, the original ones, they are horrific. Yeah. They're so frightening, yeah. I, and I think that's why I loved them. I uh-huh. I was also a huge fan of Aesop's fables. Mm. I, I still quote them. Mm-hmm. Anytime my husband and I disagree, I'll go, hey, any excuse will serve a tyrant. You know, I'll, I'll just throw out some kind of Aesop's the quote out. <laughs> little quote to him, you know, and... So, I, I don't know. I've always been interested in that heroic journey yeah. of every story. Yeah. And um, it's funny. It sounds like you are almost a psychologist at the, in From second the grade. Yeah. Thinking yeah. about why are people treating each other this way. Right. Why, and, and feelings. There should be something kinder. Yes, yes. I looked at what the feelings were. And see, how feelings. It, I've never really cared about that. Mm-hmm. I have a personality type where, um, I, I've mentioned this, that I'm an introvert, but I... Um, I have a big disconnect emotionally from people. I, I don't know if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs personality test, the, the ones that were based on Carl Jung's right. psychology type. And um, I, I come up with this um, INTP personality. I think it's called the architect. Okay. And um, I, was, I was laughing about this with my daughter. I'm, I'm going to actually pull it up right now because... Um, when you take one of these tests, the idea is to figure out, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Right. So I actually put this in a note to myself because um, I thought it was funny, but it's also extremely, extremely revealing. An INTP trait, our strengths are we're innovative thinkers 
excellent inventors, logical decision makers, enthusiastic, I can't tell you how many times I've been called that as an insult, highly (laughs) imaginative and honest. Now, our weaknesses, and this is where I disagree because I really think that these are strengths also. Okay. The first weakness is arrogance, which kind of says something about me thinking it's a strength. Highly withdrawn. I have a lack of empathy. I despise following rules. Oh, I do. I detest them. Rules are made to be broken. It's almost tattooed in my heart. Lack of social networking. Forgetful and lack of patience. So (laughs) I just find this kind of funny. People think that I'm more, you know, caring and sensitive than I am. But I'm absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I work so well with um, grumpy people. Uh Uh-huh. You know, grouchy people, mean people. Yeah. They don't even bother me because I don't see them. They don't exist. Yeah. In my plane of existence. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you were talking about the Myers Briggs. I remember taking that in high school. And then in, during my career, I took something called the DISC motivation and behavior. Yes. And I actually started a company in 1995 and still have that company, Langley Communications Corporation, where I go into companies and I will utilize that instrument. It's a lot shorter. It's 28 questions versus 120-some questions. And it looks at our motivations and behavior. And yet, just like you said, I don't like you use, use the words. I believe I don't like the word weakness. weaknesses. I don't. I have what I call word allergies, and one of them is the word weakness, because I I just I just think that there's a different way to look at that. You know, I look at something as that it's less of an interest to somebody, or less of a motivation for somebody. It's not a character weakness about somebody. So I guess as a writer, I try to be very thoughtful about my words and try never to say that somebody has a weakness. Right. right. You know, so that just made me think when you were saying that. One of the things about taking a test like that for a writer, it Mm -hmm. revealed to me um, one of the reasons why I'm not able to make my characters connect Mm -hmm. on the an emotional level like so many of my novels they're romance novels they're supposed to have emotion and high drama and everything and and they've got some of that Mm -hmm. but for the most part my characters because they're coming from my brain and that through that filter Mm -hmm. you know they they're not drama queens Mm -hmm. I'm not I detest drama can't relate to it I cannot relate to it I cannot write it and that's one of the feedbacks I get from some of my fans is that oh you need to you need to do this. You need this, this emotional high. And I'm like, eh. I'd rather even, you know, I'm not yeah. interested in writing romance. Actually, I'm moving over to this genre now. Yeah. So yeah. I'm actually at the point where I'm writing thrillers, um, murder thrillers at times. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's how my interest is going. So at yeah. this point, with this final book that I'm trying to wrap up, yeah, I have no interest in it. Yeah. So maybe I'm going to have to kill somebody off in it to... You know, motivate go. myself to get back in the writing. You go. And I think that you make a great point for anybody who's listening that you may not want to write the same thing your whole life. Never. Your life changes. You have, <gasps> and that's just, the title of your not your book, book exactly. Yes, your life, life changes. changes, and you evolve your interests. And I think that there's. I love the moment between when you give something. I there's got to be a word in some language somewhere for this. But it's the moment, I call it the, the tipping point or the linchpin, that where you're, you actually recognize that you want to give something up and at the same point in the next breath, you're taking something new on. And it's so refreshing to let go and to take on. But whatever that little moment is, that aha. Yes. That's what I like to write about. So that moment I'm experiencing with this book, I have been trying to talk myself into giving it up. Giving it up. Can I end a book in a five book series? I've been promising people these characters in this story for so many years now. Can I really just walk away from it? Part of me says, yeah, I don't care about that anymore. Yeah, I've got 25,000 words written now, and the, the part of me that's logical says, you do not walk away from that. You get yourself at the computer, and you wrap up that book and get busy. Yeah, yeah. I 
I tend to find that if I'm not interested in something, I move away from it. And I think, okay, there's always the invitation to go back to it. But, you know, if I don't, that's okay. Hey, there's that segue I've been waiting for. What's that? The segue to the muse and oh. the idea of abandoning stories. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I've already been talking about abandoning a story. Yeah. But one of the things that I want to know is, do you have a story that you want to tell, but you're never going to write it in book form? You're going to let that story go out there. Is there anybody out there listening that may be interested in this well, mine's probably completely different, and I, you gave me a little heads up before we sat down that you were going to ask me this question, so I was thinking about it, and the only thing that I ever wish that I would have written that I didn't write started in second grade. There you go. And it was, talk to me as a second grader, and that I was I had decided that each year... When I was in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, I was going to write this lifetime series of this is this is this age. You know, this is yes, the interest of a this glimpse at the third grader. Yeah, because I found that so many people they didn't know how to talk to kids in, in second grade, and I think that was probably when I was learning to do cursive writing and. Um, you know, just became more fascinated with the whole pen to paper and everything. Um, but I thought, I'm going to do this series of each year, what it's like to be, and then I don't know when I'll end it, but then I'll end up, I could picture, you know, we had encyclopedias back yes. then where they were on the... I still have some. We We have ours too. And I thought, okay, so we write in a set, you know, so that was kind of... My literal thinking was when you write, there must be this set of things. Well, thank you so much for coming out here and talking to me today. Thank you. My pleasure. And good luck, everybody, with all of your work. Follow your heart. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Diane Langley. You can find Diane and her book, Life Changes, on Amazon. And you can find me at robinvanauken.com. While you're at my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and, uh, and other creatives. So sign up today. Check out the episode and the show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session one. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.